1: Well, everyone, it's my pleasure to introduce our next guest to the show. This forward played four seasons in the WHL with Lethbridge, Kamloops, and Calgary before going on to play pro in the American Hockey League and the NHL, where he'd capture two Stanley Cups with the Chicago Blackhawks before spending a bit of time in Toronto, LA, Florida, Carolina, Calgary, Russia, Sweden, and Slovakia. He is also a Spangler Cup champion. Please welcome to the Western-centric podcast, Chris Versteeg.
0: Thanks for having me, guys.
1: Hey, the pleasure's all ours, man. Um, so, you know, I'm a, I'm a Blazers guy, so I remember you. I, I was, you know, I was a young kid when you were here. So I kind of want to start off, though, before we get into that with just, you know, playing in your hometown of Lethbridge and what it was like playing for the Hurricanes and playing with a young Brent Seabrook.
0: Yeah, well, first off, playing in my hometown was a dream come true. Um the NHL was never a league that I even really thought about. I mean you'd think about it on the street playing for the Stanley Cup things like that but you almost didn't think it was real and the Lethbridge Hurricanes were my everything as a kid. I remember we had season tickets when I was 8 to 10 years old. Um Shane Willis was a hero of mine, you know, Chris Phillips, all these guys kind of in the mid 90s, late 90s era. And then once I started to get into the early 2000s and you, you come up on the draft, I was never drafted actually. And then I get the opportunity to get listed by my hometown. And when I was listed by Lethbridge, um, that was pretty much everything. I mean, I, I didn't think it was going to happen. And then I got called from them. Brian Maxwell asked if I wanted to be part of the Hurricanes organization. And kind of in those days, there's a couple other teams reaching out to list me, but obviously uh, deciding to go with Lethbridge. And the next year uh, I'm, I walked on as a 16 year old. So uh, I remember scoring my first ever goal against Moose Jaw, walking off the half wall and kind of letting a flutter puck go on the ice. I don't know how it went in, but it did. And um, you know, my first game, uh, first fights, first everything it was, you know, in, in Lethbridge in front of friends and family and um, what a dream it was. And that's, that for me was everything. That Yeah. That's so cool. Like,
1: Growing up as a Blazers fan, like that, I think that's what everybody's dream is. Like you grow up in your hometown and you want to play WHL hockey for that team. And you, everybody kind of started out the same with, you know, parents that had seasons tickets and all that. It's yeah, that's super cool.
0: Hey, I'm going to get my cat out of here. One <laughs> second. Okay. Yeah. Oh. sorry.
1: You're good. You're good. No, no, no you're
2: no worries. Yeah. No <laughs>
1: So you, you played with like a young Brent Seabrook, obviously a little bit in Lethbridge. And did you know that like he would go on to be like a, a superstar defenseman?
0: So my, my first year I was 16. And I remember the year before when I got listed, everyone talked about Brent Seabrook, the hype, he was big. And I remember... At 16, I didn't have a hair on my face. And I remember seeing Brett, and he's a year older than me. And he's got a beard. And I just remember thinking like the first time I met him, I was like, boy, do do I physically, you know, have a long way to go. But he was already named captain at 17 years old. Mm -hmm. So my first year there, he was a captain. And he was just a guy. He cared about all the players he played with. He was someone that I think you go back and look at you know, when he went to Jonathan Taze in the penalty box in Detroit, just things like that. That's just the type of person he was. I actually roomed with him a little bit that year as well. When I was 16, it was me, Brent, and and Andy Thompson. And and I was their rookie, so I would sleep on the cot. So there was uh, (laughs) was three of us in the room. So I I remember those days very vividly, but Brent to me was, yeah, he was a player that could hammer the puck. He could make a first great pass. Uh, He had a great stick. His hockey IQ was high. I think the only question ever really on him was his foot speed. And just because of the way his brain operated, it allowed him to always be a little bit of one step ahead of the play, whether it was separating guys from the puck. And, you know, he was just kind of one of those guys at 17, you knew who was going to make it. You just didn't know what kind of career he was going to have, but you knew he was going to make the NHL.
1: Yeah. And it makes sense. I mean, he's so, he was so talented and yeah, I just, it, it's cool to watch those. A- guys you see those young players and you just you know that they've got that knack for the nhl and you know that they're going to excel
0: yeah that was that was him so again you never know how great a player is going to be and i think brent yeah. even exceeded yeah. probably his own expectations to be honest yeah. And, um, yeah so for me it was like yeah he could be good i don't know how good he can be but <laughs> he was obviously you know he's obviously a top player in the whl he was way, way better than his peers there so um it just depended how it was going to translate to the pros and obviously it did really well yeah yeah absolutely so
1: you left Lethbridge and you get traded to Kamloops so what was like your first trade like for you
0: I was in Boston at camp and I didn't show up for Lethbridge I remember I told Lethbridge I wasn't going to come to camp that year so okay Mm
2: -hmm. yeah there
0: was about five of us that didn't show up to camp so John Lammers got traded to Everett Scott Boland was the goalie. He didn't show up. Michael Galash, he didn't show up. So there was, there was five of us, obviously, with issues um, with the coaching staff in Lethbridge mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, five of us decided not to come back to camp. So I was in Boston. I got a call about a week prior saying they weren't going to trade me and I have to show up, and I told them I wasn't showing up. And uh, I still know the GM now, Darren Stocker. He's a good guy. Um, at the time, he was the GM, though, and I told him, hey, I'm not coming but he ended up calling me about a week later and, and that's when I got told I was going to Kamloops. So actually as a night, as a 19 year old, I had a really good camp. So I stayed quite a bit longer in Boston that year. Mm-hmm. I came back to Kamloops. I don't think I was mentally, you know, I, I started off with a hat trick actually in my first game. That's what I was going to bring up. Uh-huh. Yeah, And, and, you know, I love, listen, I, I didn't really get along with, uh, one person there I would say um, oh, right. and that kind of dictated my time in Kamloops because the person uh, we didn't get along but um, yeah. overall like you know the coach was great Mark Ferner he was a good guy I didn't really or even really get to know the GM I think his name was Clark um, uh, yeah yeah Dean Clark Dean Clark he was the GM at the time I just remember he picked me up at the airport in Kamloops and drove me to my house where Gary and Lori uh, they billeted me and those are two of the greatest people I've ever met were my billets. I remember staying up with her. She'd make me tuna melts every night. So I would stay up with her and talk with her every night uh, for the month and a half. I was there or whatever, but um, just two of the greatest people. I, Gary was a repo guy actually. And I would go, with oh, yeah. him on, uh, <laughs> uh, times when he'd go repo cars and, and stuff like that. So I still yeah. remember doing that with Gary and, you know, staying up at night with Lori and watching highlights, but yeah, Ultimately, my time came down to, you know, obviously, I didn't get along with one guy on the team. And um, that's just how it was. Uh, I I ended up moving on and uh, the time was short in Kamloops. um, But it was it was a good experience. It was just it was short
1: yeah yeah uh, I mean as a fan I remember you scoring that hat trick and then I remember you getting traded and I was just like what what are we doing why are we trading them?
0: <laughs> yeah there was uh yeah I mean I but it all I, makes sense now I don't need to get into it you know no 20, no of course not 20 years later but and, yeah and I'm sure if you run into the same guy now you know you're you're fine uh, yeah it's just um I, I know my personality and I I call bullshit you know yeah. And, and I know, I'm sure the person's personality didn't like that. And there was just a little bit of a clash that way. And it it obviously didn't work. So um, I ended up honest, I never asked for a trade. I didn't even think I was going to get traded, to be honest. I didn't really know. Okay. Yeah. I was in Lethbridge. We were playing medicine hat that night with, or no, I was in Kamloops with Kamloops playing in medicine hat the next night, but I went home to Lethbridge to see my family. Mm -hmm. And oh, okay. I got a call and they told me I was traded to Red Deer and I was like all right. So <laughs> and and kind of by that point I didn't really know much about my NHL or pro career so I was just like whatever. I went to Red Deer and that that was that. So again, I was I was a little choked at the sense that like I didn't really know what was going on, but at, yeah. at the same time it was like it was what was best for me. I needed a coach like Brent Sutter to get mm-hmm. on he put me on defense and you know, he rode me hard to be honest mm-hmm. and that's what I needed at the time.
2: Yeah. So you brought up, you brought up our next to- topic and talking about Brent Sutter. Right? What was it like playing in Red Deer? Like you played with Brett and Brandon Sutter and having yeah. Brent as your your head coach. What was it like uh, with all three of those guys?
0: Hmm. They were great. Um, Brett was a year younger than me, I believe. And Brandon was a 16 tw- uh, year old. So I was 19. And when I first got there, you know, just meeting Brent and just, you know, there's, there's no bullshit, right? Yeah. You tell yeah. how it is. And you, you got to respect it because as a hockey player, you want to know how you operate actually probably, but three or four games after I played there in Red Deer, I started off as a forward. Uh, Brent ended up leaving for the world juniors. Mm. So he was gone and we were in Moose Jaw and three of our defensemen got hurt. And Dallas GOM asked if any of us played defense. And that's where uh, I raised my hand. I said, I play it in roller hockey. You know, I used to play <laughs> So they put me on D and apparently they liked me on D and that's where they left me the rest of the season. So, um, yeah, I ended up playing D as, you know, basically from November 1st, all the way or whenever it had been, um, you know, I got traded, I think, end of October. So, um, you know, probably start in November all the way through to the end of the season. Uh, I played on defense and I remember talking to Brent at the end of the year, he's like, if you come back for one more year, I can turn you into an NHL D man." And then he's like, I want you to yeah video of Wisniewski I don't know if you remember Visnevsky as a D-man yeah oh yes he, yeah and he said I kind of reminded him as Wisniewski and he's like hey you know if you don't sign with Boston I want you to come back here and, and be a D-man and wow, uh, obviously wow. I ended up signing with Boston and going back to Ford and it yeah. worked that way but I remember the talk with you know coming back to Red Deer and working as a defenseman the following year and it, it never happened but I still remember the conversation.
2: Huh, that's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, you also played with James Reimer who, I mean, you ended up playing with the NHL with a uh, same
0: team as them with the
2: Toronto. What was it like playing with a young uh, James Reimer?
0: Honestly, I would have never guessed he would have been the goalie he is today. Um,
2: <laughs> I still fast.
0: remember like he was good. He was also 17. I think he would have been when I was 19. I could be wrong. He may have been 16 as well, but I thought he was 17. Um, he was good. He was just, I, I just remember a play with James where uh, Kyle chipcher had a breakaway on him and James like was backing into the net and he like hit his head on the crossbar and <laughs> fell down. And that's where I was like, oh boy, I don't know if this guy's. A- <laughs> uh, oh my. <laughs> yeah, but he, he proved me wrong. He, uh, I remember. So again, I played the rest of the year with him. He ended up getting drafted, I think late by Toronto that year. Uh, I was—I even remember thinking I was kind of shocked he got drafted. But then you started to see—you know—you look back at Red Deer and you see the next year how he evolved, and yeah. then you see when he was 19, and then you're like, "Holy wow!" Were they right about him? And then you play with him in Toronto, and he's a heck of a goalie, and he's a great person too. So I'm—I'm I'm so happy for him and the career he's had and everything he's done because he's earned it.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Let's jump into your NHL career for a little bit here. Um, so did
0: you attend the draft at all when you were drafted by Boston? No, I was. No. Uh, again, I, I wasn't ranked to get drafted. I didn't think I was going to get drafted. I remember my coach at the time, we had a meeting. We were at uh, we went to the restaurant and he said, hey, there's a couple teams calling saying they may take you in the later rounds. I'm just going to let you know. And I was like, well, you know, because I had a really good tournament with Team Canada at the U18s, but I, I still was not, I, I was on, no projections, no lists. So my school's graduation was that day. So um, the graduation was on a Saturday, and that was day one of the draft. So the first three rounds. And then my and I got drafted on Sunday, which was day two of the draft. So rounds four through nine were on Sunday. So again, I went out. I went out till seven in the morning that night. and I remember me and my ex-girlfriend were coming home and well, I vaguely remember, not really well. and um i got out of the car from my safe grad because i went to graduation and we went to safe grad and i don't know if you know what safe grad is but i went to safe grad had some pops that night and uh woke up basically on my front lawn with my mom crying saying (laughs) you know you've just been drafted and i was like what are you talking about rich sutter we were friends with the sutters And Rich was at the draft because I worked for Rich Sutter and Ron Sutter at hockey schools and he was in Carolina and he called my mom right away, even before Boston called us to tell (laughs) us that I got drafted. So I remember, yeah, I went back to bed for a couple hours and I remember calling, asking my mom a couple hours later, I'm like, what round did I get drafted? (laughs) I still remember asking her, she goes, you went in the fifth round. And I was like, the fifth round? who the hell would take me in, the- <laughs> you know, I'm like, I went from not being ranked or no one even thinking of taking me. And apparently they were going to take me in the fourth round,
2: oh, um, Boston, wow.
0: but they ended up waiting one more round huh. and uh, Boston took me fifth round. But at no point did I ever think fifth, I was thinking, you know, if anything, ninth, like a yeah. ninth round flyer.
1: That, that's an awesome story though. Like, that's so, that's so cool to look back on, I bet. And, you know, you ended up, you know, having this great NHL career, which we're going to get into a little bit here. Um, you know, you played in a Winter Classic. You got to score uh, the first goal in the Winter Classic. Like, what was that like for you? And, like, what was the difference of playing outside, like, in, compared to, like, in an arena?
0: Yeah. What the? Once. <laughs> Do you hear that hammering? No. No i was just making sure there's got to be some like carpenters going (laughs) (laughs) i was making sure here yeah you're good (laughs) yeah so what was the difference story between
1: like playing outside in like that winter classic environment compared to like in an arena like you know obviously there's way more fans and everything
0: so everyone thinks it's louder but for me it, it wasn't it was a great experience just to see that many people the first time, especially at Wrigley field, you're looking out and you're in a baseball field and also soldier field. You're like, wow, this is, this is wild. There are so many people out here, but like the sound doesn't travel the same way as it does in a building. So I remember that was kind of the first thing I thought I was like, huh, I thought it would be louder, you know, that was because yeah. kind of, it's it's not trapped in a building, but I was also like, it's, it's such a, a cool, like, feeling just to see that many people around you, and um, you know, the weather was different. It kind of changed a little bit how you played. You couldn't do as much with the puck as you would have liked because the ice wasn't as good. It was cold. Um, you know, the, the the weather does change how you play. And I guess mm-hmm. I'm not a big football fan or a soccer fan, but I would assume the same thing goes for those sports. It it can change the way you play. It can change the way you warm up. It could change a lot of things. So. That was my first ever experience at it and I was I was kind of shocked at a couple of different things, but just the entire day, the, the entire lead up, everything that happened, especially in that that first one when we played the Detroit Red Wings, that was an experience that I'll never forget.
1: Yeah yeah, absolutely. Like I remember watching the old winter classic documentaries that HBO would produce and they would follow the teams along throughout the winter classic. And it was always a big like spectacle and it was cool to watch like the behind the scenes and how they got everything ready and how amped up the players were to go play outside in front of all these fans and just experience
0: what you guys experienced. Yeah. 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 They're, they're great. They also did a great job with those shows back in the yeah. day. And, uh, yeah. Made it really personable with the players. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
2: And I mean, and then you guys, and then you won a cup, I mean, won a couple, but uh <laughs> for that first, did you know the goal went in Uh, when, you know, Pat came, scored that game or the series or Stanley cup winner.
0: um, Did you know it went in when, when it happened? No, no, I didn't. I, I, I got back to the bench after a line change and I was sitting there and Brower was to the left of me and there was a shot that was taken on net. And I thought it hit Michael Layton's paddle. Cause he kind of put his paddle down. So I, I heard a thunk that was obviously that ended up being the back of the net. But I thought it was like it hit the paddle. And then I looked into the meshing. So the time I was looking in the meshing, I was like, where's the puck? Like, I, I see it. And Brower's like, I have no idea either. And by kind of that time, Caner came skating by us with no gloves on. And I remember looking at Brower and he's like, it's in the net. And I'm like, it's in the net. <laughs> and then I hopped on the ice. And I remember seeing a bunch of guys throw their gloves off. So I'm like, it must be in the net or it better be in the net. I in the yeah. Net. yeah. So I threw my stuff off. And that's the time, you know, I got down to the, the uh, other end. We started hugging and I look over and kind of at that time, we did see a ref reach into the net. And that's when we saw him grab something out of the net, right? <laughs> and, and still to this day, they haven't found that puck. <laughs> I know a thousand percent. There's a few of us that seen him grab the puck out of the net. We saw him kind of go through the netting and it was stuck into the foam. Uh, yeah. And we saw him grab it. And then kind of at that same time, the coaches gave us a thumbs up from the bench to verify that open been <laughs> net
1: that's so that's so crazy that's so cool to hear from a yeah from your perspective wow yeah it was it was nuts it was crazy so if you win that cup so like what was it like for you to have like your day with the cup I mean you just you touched on the beginning of the show that you didn't even expect to play in the NHL and then here you are hoisting a Stanley Cup and you get to bring it back to Lethbridge what was that like for you
0: well, the, f- the first thing I remember, though, was still being on the ice and when the guys with the white gloves carry it out. That's almost like a moment I watched, you know, for 20 years as a child. And all I could hear in my head was Bob Cole, like, saying, and there it is, the Stanley Cup. You know, <laughs> like kind of strange. But it was, like, it was ingrained in my memory for years was that moment of them walking out and Bob Cole announcing the Stanley Cups coming out on the ice. So that piece for me was wild. And then... I got to bring it back home. I brought it to the arena that I grew up playing at in Lethbridge. Um, I brought it to my old house that we grew up, we grew up in. We played, um, we ended up playing street hockey with a bunch of the old neighbor kids that we played street hockey with every single day for the Stanley cup, brought it to my grandparents. um, And then we had a pig roast the one night. So at my house, pig pig roast and, uh, went to the bar and rented out a bar and had all the friends and family there to celebrate. So we did a lot of different things and we, we ended up having it almost for 72 hours actually. So wow, it was crazy how much time I had it the first year, but yeah, we did a lot of fun things with it, but you know, bringing it back to the old street where I grew up literally playing street hockey every single day, playing for the actual Stanley cup was, was my, you know, my most memorable piece for me, but the best piece for me was handing it to my grandfather, you know, right when I brought it back from the airport, pulling it out of the case and and handing it to my grandpa that was an emotional moment and uh, seeing him lift the Stanley Cup for everything he's done for me and making sure I played hockey and you know wasn't you know who knows what I would have been doing on the street or anything if it wasn't for him keeping me in sports in those days you know that was a moment for me that was special yeah that absolutely I can see why that's that's super cool I you know
1: that's what I like to hear about, um, like the cops and like, you know, the people, you guys bring it back to those who had such big impacts on, on your career. And I, I think that's awesome.
0: Yeah. That's the best part of it. I mean, it's, yeah. everything's great about winning, but you know, there's that quote about, it's about the journey to get there and that's where the memories are made. And those are the yeah. people that help you get along it. So that's why it's so pivotal to share it with those people. Yeah, Absolutely.
2: Yeah. So then you got, then you came back. Uh, I mean, you went off and with a couple other teams, but then you came back to Chicago and, uh, won a cup again, this time older and against a strong Tampa Bay team. Um, what what was it like? I understood the importance of winning, how hard the playoffs ultimately are. Uh, what was it like the second time having more experience under your belt?
0: Yeah. The second time was just a different year. I, uh, you know, I had a really good start to the year. And then um, I think I was second on the team in scoring at the time. And then we were at the winter classic playing Washington and I broke my hand. So I had to get my hand reconstructed. Um, So they had to pin it and do that. And I missed about eight and a half, nine weeks. And I was kind of told that, you know, it's going to be a struggle to play because my grip strength. So I came back, played the finish, you know, maybe last 12 games leading into the playoffs and I had no grip strength. So my game was not great so I went into that playoffs you know not on a high I didn't have a great first round I then got osteus pubis in my pubic bone and then I you know and then I I was trying to come back in the lineup but obviously they didn't need me in the lineup because Mm -hmm. other guys were filling in and playing better than me so then you get healthy scratched as the playoffs go on and then basically I played one game in in, against Anaheim so for myself personally it was a weird experience because it was like I was more in like just survival mode that you're just trying to get healthy and then you know Mm -hmm. be scratched and it's not fun to be healthy scratched and then you know my child i have a child that gets born a day before the stanley cup finals so june 2nd my son's wow i'm in toronto and i don't think again i was scratched game seven against uh anaheim and so I'm like there's no way I'm playing game one so I went for the birth of my son and I get a call from Quenville he's like you need to get to Tampa now (laughs) game one so I then play the entire Stanley Cup finals and I didn't think I was going to even play at all so it was just like a roller coaster and then you know I play a pretty big role in a couple of the games especially game five so it kind of made me feel a part of it again whereas like if I didn't play in those games it would have been it's still you're cheering for your team to win but you don't feel like you have as much of an impact on winning and for me it's like i wanted to feel like i did something in the playoffs so i was very happy i was able to get in and contribute especially on in game five big time and that gave me that sense of you know accomplishment in the sense that i was a part of it so um it was an it was a roller coaster to be honest with you and then when we won it was almost like a relief that the year was over
2: Yeah. (laughs) yeah no
0: doubt you go from having honestly is my second best start to a season to being hurt to going down to barely being able to grab the top of my stick to like being healthy to coming back into winning so it was like to get back to the top was like the rockiest road especially for two years because I tore my ACL the year prior and came back to Chicago and I had hip surgery and two groin surgeries as well so it was like it was a mess of about three years so it was like very, very low time. And then to end yeah. off that, it was like, thank god this year is over. But that to get back to this point was three years of hell. So it was yeah. it ended up being very much worth it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I like, it sounds like it. I mean, like you said, you described it as a roller coaster, and yeah, it definitely sounds like <laughs> that. there That's was way sure. more, yeah. There's
0: way more days at the bottom than the top. So yeah,
1: absolutely. Uh, I'm just gonna ask you a couple more questions and we'll let you go. Um, so You played in two Canadian markets, you played in Toronto, of course, and then you got to play in Calgary, and obviously being from Alberta um, and being from Lethbridge, playing for the Flames or playing for the Oilers is uh, probably every Albertan's dream, so what was it like for you to fulfill that and, you know, put a Flames jersey over your head and, you know, battle it out in the Battle of Alberta?
0: It was amazing. (laughs) It was, uh, you know, I grew up an Oilers fan, my dad's a big Oilers fan, so you know, to play for the flames. And <laughs> uh, if you were to tell my dad that in the eighties and nineties, he would, have he would have, uh, you know, yep. to, to yep. play in Calgary in front of friends and family. I played my first ever national hockey league game at the saddle dome in front of friends and family oh. played my last ever wow. oh, game wow. in Calgary or with Calgary, you know, it's just, it was it was almost like a story in the sense of you know you got to play at your hometown in Lethbridge and then you get to play basically in your hometown of Calgary. Uh, my grandparents got to come up all the time to see my my their grandkids and watch me play so I couldn't have asked for a better experience in Calgary. I just wish my hip would have held up yeah. a little bit better. I mean I, I was I wasn't even insured to play in Switzerland and that's why they sent me back because my hip wasn't good enough and then you oh, know, okay. found a way to play two more years in the NHL but you know, basically I had to get needled every single every second day just to loosen up the muscles enough to get on the ice to play. So um, the surgery I ended up getting it fixed it to an extent, but it wasn't great. But it was I just wish I was healthier there so I could play that yep. played at a better level the second year. But I think the way I finished the season and helping the team get to the playoffs and helping that it it, it was a, it was a great feeling and a great sense of accomplishment at, to end it in front of friends and family.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You had a tremendous career. Um, You know, we'll ask you one more question here. We'll let you touch up on your app that you have. That's how I kind of contacted you and found you. Um, I think it's incredible. Uh, Maybe just tell our listeners kind of what it's all about.
0: Yeah, so basically at the end of my career, a lot of parents were coming up to me to look at their kids' clips, and there was just nothing that allowed me to efficiently do that. So basically a parent would send me a clip of their kid shooting in order for me to annotate it, meaning draw and voice it over to send it back. It used to take me about an hour to an hour and 12 minutes, and I'd use three different platforms. I'm like, huh. why isn't there a platform where I could pull <laughs> it up, Yeah, d- draw it up, and send it back in seconds, right? Yeah. And that's something that's like accessible for everyone. So that's what Clever is. That's where the idea came from. We've streamlined the ability for a coach, parent, and athlete to share videos between each other, oh, wow. um, educational videos, taught videos, whatever it may be, highlight videos, anything you need, what the process used to take again, an hour plus before it takes a minute. Literally, I can do 36 shot annotations in under an hour of 36 wow. shots. Oh, so, wow. Now the uh, now what we've done is we're launching the marketplace um, in three and a half weeks. So basically, coaches will be on the marketplace and it allow coaches to monetize their knowledge, whether they're selling drills, uh, whether oh, yeah. they're selling their knowledge, or if you're a parent or an athlete needing to look in any sport to reach out to someone in order to look at your shot, you know, plays, anything, baseball yes. swing, golf swing. Um, it's going to create the uh, coaching marketplace, and we're going to have some celebrities on it as well oh, that wow. you can reach out to wow. and look at stuff. So. Um, that's, uh, that's, you know, how we plan to create a coaching marketplace and there's no one that's done it even close to like this. So it's exciting. And in the meantime, we're also giving all the tools away for free, you know, the annotation tools where all these other platforms charge an arm and a leg and it's not viable. Yeah. Not, and it's, it's, again, it's not easy to use. It's actually horrible use.
1: Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, your app is incredible. Um, everybody can go and download that on the app store. Um, you guys can check out obviously the Instagram page and social media pages for it as well. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Chris. It was a pleasure to talk to you.
0: Thanks a bunch for having me guys. Anytime. Eh?
1: How's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Western Centric. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to the show. I'm your host, Golden Davies, and alongside me is my co-host, Matthew Zader. Today, we will be talking about a handful of WHL signings. Portland Winterhawks forward Jaden DeRoe signed his ELC with Tampa Bay Lightning. We'll talk a little bit about the WHL Player and Goalie of the Week awards, Connor conference finals update, and of course, if you just listened to our Christopher Steak interview, we had that today. Um, he was awesome to talk to, really great guy, incredible career, um, some good laughs in the interview. So, I mean, you guys, you guys know, you listened to it, um, but just an awesome guy to talk to.
2: Yeah, it was a great interview uh, by Chris and it's, yeah, it was great to see, hear some stories. I didn't even know, I didn't know about him. So uh, it yeah. was, uh, it was, it was great.
1: It, it was, it was good to hear some of those stories and, um, you know, just listen to, you know, the James Reimer stuff. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. Just that whole, that whole spiel there. Um, we'll jump into some WHL signings. Obviously, it's been a busy week over the last uh, 10 days since the WHL US draft and the Bantam draft. Um, Red Deer Rebels signed Luke Vlasowski. Oh my God, I just butchered that. I think it's Luke Vluswick. Yeah, I think that's what it is. He was selected 17th. I apologize. He was selected 17th overall by Red Deer. Um, he signed his Bantam deal. Swift Current Broncos signed defenseman Peyton Kettles, their sixth overall selection. The Edmonton Oil Kings have inked defenseman Blake Fiddler, who was the first overall selection in the U.S. priority draft. Uh, he, of course, is the son of former NHLer Vernon Fiddler. And the Calgary Hitmen signed defenseman Reese Hamilton, who was their fourth overall selection in the WHL Prospects draft slash Bantam um, draft. So a handful of signings, quick signings there, obviously. Um, The and think the top three guys in the WHL Bantam draft are all off the board as well. They've all been picked up by the respective teams. Um, so this is the new generation of uh of players coming through, Matthew.
2: Yeah, it's 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 great to see. And I keep you keep seeing uh different, you know, sons getting signed. And it's like I remember and it just makes me keep feeling older. And it's like yeah, Vern Fiddler, I'm like, I remember he played and now his son is getting like Like, oh
1: that's, God. that's just it. Like, yeah. Vernon <laughs> Fiddler. I remember watching Fiddler like play through like, even when he was like 28, 29, yeah. 30 years old, and now his son's coming into like, the WHL. And, you know, um, I had actually had that feeling of feeling old uh, with uh, at the U18 or was it the u eighteen at the top, the top prospects game this past year. And Jorian Donovan was playing and he's the son of Sean Donovan. And yeah. I was just like, <laughs> what the heck? Like, <laughs> Oh, it just, yeah. But it's super cool to see. I mean, I loved I love the family connections. as something I'm pretty, like, keen on. I really yeah. like to see, like, you know, the families thrive and have those um, careers, obviously, together. Uh, it's super cool.
2: Yeah, I, I always love those stories, too, because you see those family connection and the bloodlines and and yeah, it's it's always cool to see that, and that's why when you see a, a last name you recognize, like, is it is it his son? <laughs> yeah,
1: and that's what I do too. I'm like, that's a very familiar name. Who is that? And then you go and look, and it's like, oh yeah, okay, cousin or you know, son yeah. or nephew. It's there's a relation. Then there's um, ones that are
2: like, no, oh, there's no relation at all.
1: <laughs> yeah, oh well, yeah, like Jack
2: Hughes. Yeah, Jack
1: Hughes and Jack Hughes. There's no relation. <laughs> but there is a relation between Jack Hughes. And Kent Hughes of the Montreal Canadiens. So there is that. There is that. Um, So in other news, but in terms of signings, the Tampa Bay Lightning announced the signing of Portland Winterhawks overager Jaden DeRoe to a three-year entry-level contract. Lightning Vice President and GM Julian Breezebaugh announced the signing on Saturday afternoon. Uh, DeRoe actually played as a little bit with Syracuse this past season. He appeared in three games, scored his first goal in the NHL. Um, he's a kid who hails from White City, Saskatchewan, who was selected in the fifth round of the 2020 NHL draft. Uh, the 21-year-old was originally selected by the Winterhawks in the eighth round of the 2016 WHL draft, but has amassed over 196 points in 207 WHL games. So he's made quite the career for himself. And, you know, it's kind of funny that we talk about guys getting drafted later because who did we just have on a guy who was drafted very yeah. late and <laughs> went on to have a remarkable career but you know we're gonna beat a beat a dead drum here for a second the tempe lightning are just so good at drafting oh, i don't shit. under i don't i don't i just don't get like how ha- what they what they do like their yeah. scouting department is just top notch what Steve Iserman has been able to create and it was it's not just it's not just Iserman you know he left in what 2018 2017 can't remember when he left but what he was able to do for that organization and and you know mold Julian Brisbois into what he is yeah you know, has been incredible and to watch um you know Darrow was a guy who was a problem for Camloops uh and he was a guy who you know, excelled in the WHL like like you you look at his playoff performance this past year and when they when Portland played um i, I Portland played Seattle he he was a critical player like he yeah. was a key player in that series, and they just couldn't Portland just couldn't get it done. Seattle we'll talk a little bit about Seattle soon, but you know it's it's just crazy to see and uh you know we talk about the overage guys and you know we've talked about our Steve Baines as well um and it's just yeah i think it's really awesome to see these guys getting their chances
2: yeah and and you're looking at how lightning um draft these guys like another guy dylan duke in the fourth round this past draft like he's mm-hmm. gonna end up being a really good player and he's drafting the fourth round Nico hutan yeah. and who we've talked about in this show before seventh yeah. round pick in 20 and he's having a ridiculous season right now i right? had a ridiculous season too so you know, Deroz just another one that uh, could potentially be that. So, I mean, it, it's amazing you, what the lightning have done with these late round picks and taking, yep. you know, I don't know if you're saying, you know, taking chances on them, but you know, it seems like they're hitting on a lot of them. than uh, they, they're missing, they are. For sure. You look <laughs> at, you
1: look at their history too. Like just like the history of the Tampa Bay draft and what they've been able to do, you know, guys like brain point, Anthony Sorelli, um, Guys like Ross Colton, who's a fifth round, fourth round pick. I, I mean, these guys are all players who are playing key roles for the for the Lightning now. Jan Ruda, um, like, it's just remarkable what they've been able to do and how they're able to, you know, develop their players essentially through that Syracuse Crunch program. Yeah, uh, I think I just, that's kind of what it is.
2: I just realized too, they drafted Connor Ingram in the third round in 2016, too. Uh, who's now with the Math National with, predators. With National Predators? Yeah, exactly. I did not. I did yeah. not realize. That. I would just look at their draftings and I'm like, hey, it's Connor Ingram. Yeah, so there's another guy that could potentially not for the Lightning, but you know they drafted him in the third round, and he could become a pretty good goaltender. And uh, you know, Sorelli, Joseph. I mean, the list goes on.
1: <laughs> it does. It does. Like there's, you know, you look at you just take a quick peek at you know Tampa Bay's you know pipeline and they're the alex barboulet there's another guy that's yeah. a later round pick who's become kind of came out of his shell bennett MacArthur had 77 points this year in the quebec league like
2: <laughs> cedric paquette is another one i i, I don't even know like it's <sighs> just
1: it, what what tampa bay has been able to do has been remarkable and you know for Jaden Dero. um to find himself in that program, I think is great, and I think Drew really has what it takes
2: to you know mold himself out as a bottom six player on that in uh, yeah. that team. I believe so too. So it's great to see him sign, and uh, we'll see what he does next year in a full season with um with Syracuse.
1: Absolutely, W H L player of the goalie or player of the week and goalie awards. So, uh, Reed Schaefer of the Seattle Thunderbirds, a player that I actually missed the other day so <laughs> the other day i made a tweet uh, that got a got a handful of likes and retweets and made a little thread about you know uh the certain matchups that are happening between canlas and seattle and who the star players were and just did a little brief history on it and i actually forgot reed schaefer as one of the top prospects available and people yeah. kind of handed on me about that <laughs> that's okay that's okay that's okay so reed schaefer Recorded four goals and three assists for seven points in four games, earning himself a WHL player of the week award. And he's been outstanding. I mean, in this oh, Blazers, yeah. in this Blazers conference, um, or in this conference finals against Blazers, he's been, he's been really, really good. And for a Seattle team, which actually I'll, I'll touch on that in a minute. Well, we'll touch on that in a minute. Uh, <laughs> in other news though, the Anaheim Ducks prospect and Winnipeg ice goaltender Gage Alexander was named WHL goalie of the week posting a record of 1.2 a GAA and a 0.964 save percentage. Now, we've talked a little bit about the Winnipeg Ice and their goaltending and whether if the goaltenders are inflated because of who's in front of them and how that all works. But Gage Alexander seems to be a guy who has that low to medium potential to round out as a as a a backup, mm-hmm. maybe even a fringe goaltender in the
2: NHL yeah I think so and he's showing it and the thing is like we said you know strong team in front of you know that type of thing but you still have to stop the puck so (laughs) yeah so that's the key thing it's not like uh, they don't give up chances they still do so you you have to make the saves when you need to and it's the it's a big saves when when needed too so um good for him. I think, I think he could, he has the potential to be a board, you know, that type of maybe a backup in the NHL. Yeah. So we'll see. But so I think the uh, thing,
1: like yeah. with him too, is you look at, you know, like we just did with Darrow, you look at Tampa Bay's, um, you know, pipeline, you take a look at Anaheim's pipeline, you look yeah. at their goal, you look at their goaltending. They've got Lucas Dostal, Kelly Klang, Oli Eck, and that's it. So, yeah. so, so Gage Alexander definitely has what it takes to get himself into a position there and uh you know maybe do something in four or five years like you, you never know that's the thing um so now we're going to talk a little bit about the conference finals i know this has been all over the place but <laughs> but i, I didn't want to talk about the thunderbirds in the conference finals because i was going to do a whole thing about it so <laughs> so i, I i'm kind of worried as a blazers fan that, that's how i'm gonna put it right now um I don't know what's happening. It seems as though, like it it seems as certain players aren't showing up from my perspective. Um, I'm not going to name names. I have no reason to do that, Uh, but it just seems as if certain players aren't, aren't showing up when they should be. And it seems as if all the offensive reliability is falling on Logan Stankoven and Fraser Minton. And it's not, it's not working. And the Blazers defense is crumbling and it's, you know, honestly, I'd almost compare it to what's happening with Calgary right now. Yeah, Calgary's crumbling to Edmonton for for no reason. I, I mean, okay, whoa, uh-huh. McDavid's the reason, yeah. obviously, <laughs> but but you know what I mean. Like Seattle's just been blowing them away, and Kevin Korchinski's been unreal. Holy cow! Like he, in my opinion, I think Korchinski. I've I rode the you know you've listened to the show. I've rode the Matay train for a, a long time. Um and you know, all respect to him, but I think Kevin Korchinski has kind of solidified himself as a top, uh, as the top defender to come out yeah. of the WHL. And you know, playoffs don't really play a big factor into it, but he's just been so dominant, getting those early goals for Seattle, and just you know, playing that defensive um, role. That w- I mean, he's a defenseman, but you know, playing that defensive side of his game and shutting down key players he's been he's been really solid
2: yeah Korchinski's like well 14 points in 16 games in the playoffs um you know he already has more goals than he had all season long (laughs) yeah isn't that remarkable (laughs) that's insane so Um, I mean yeah I think he's really solidified himself as the like I love Matej uh how he plays but uh Korchinski I think is the better and we've said this before he's the better all-around defenseman um, you and know, that, that's in his what I
1: kind of made So, yeah, like yeah. he, he, you know, he's that defenseman who's doing his job, but you know, he was known as this offensive prodigy essentially all season yeah. where he has 60 points and he's this crazy offensive defenseman, like a Kale McCarr, but he also is very good and reliable defensively, yeah. which is exactly the position he plays. And a lot of offensive defensemen aren't
2: good defensively. What, like,
1: that's what i was trying to yeah. <laughs> like, that's what i was
2: trying to say the yeah. one of the one of the um yeah he like, he's one of those some of those guys like like a out.
1: guy like adam fox even could be uh, like, taken as like some of those guys should be forwards like i'm not even kidding <laughs> like they should just be playing forward like they but i mean it works and it, it it's whatever
2: but yeah so but yeah korchinski's been amazing so i think he like, has i think he's solid i really do i really think he's getting drafted in the top 10 this year i really do I think so, too, because he's like, look what he's been doing throughout the playoffs.
1: And I, we just I just said playoffs don't really have a big factor, but they I think they really do. Because they do with
2: scouts. like They do with scouts do. because you, you,
1: these are critical moments and critical games for these kids. And for Korchinski as a 17 year old kid to pretty much put Seattle on his back and drive this team, like quarterback this team to what they've been able to do, which is an absolute astonishing defeat like astonishing defeats that they've done already against yeah. like Portland. And I don't think anybody expected, eh, maybe not, but I don't think anybody expected them to be where they are right now.
2: So, no,
1: no. They've really just like Thomas Millich has been unstoppable. He's another guy who I really hope gets drafted. Like I hope somebody takes a chance on him. Um, It's been, it's been fun to watch another guy on Seattle. That's been fun to watch is Lucas Siona. I like mm-hmm. him calgary flames prospect he's been fun um a guy who's been getting on my nerves is matthew <laughs> rempe <Yeah. laughs> six foot nine 240 pounds of behemoth out there yeah he uh he tried to grab stank uh, oh, last game and i was just like oh goodness that man you are <laughs> a foot taller leave him alone i was <laughs> like but I mean, there's another guy, Rempe. It's kind of funny. I had a talk with my buddy about this guy. He's six nine, two forty, and the the New York Rangers signed him. Like, hey. yeah, I saw it. Yeah, mm, holy cow! God. But you know, so Seattle's without. And I was going to talk about this. Reed Shafer's impact. You know, he's been solid, and Seattle hasn't had uh, Lucas Fishkovsky or Henrik Rybinsky the last couple games. So, I mean, for Seattle to do what they've been doing,
2: oh my oh, goodness, God.
1: like when they won last night uh yeah it was it was hard last night to watch the blazers game um they just didn't like the first period they were all focused and it just seemed like in the second and third the energy just dwindled and for whatever reason confidence went down and they just weren't shooting as much as they they really should have been there was a lot of dumping chases and but that's my that's that's my i'm i'm done being a critique there we go
2: I'm done. I'm done. and then the other side you got the image oil kings going up 3-1 on the winnipeg ice which which I mean, is i think that was people could see that coming, though yeah and the thing is, is the oil has been so good and i mean the one i thought this was gonna go to seven but now i don't know i i think
1: well,
2: uh, it could still happen but i uh, predicted seven yeah
1: but now that i've seen the oil kings dismantle this Winnipeg Ice team. <laughs> I think it's I think it's done. I think the I think the Oil Kings take it next game and it's all over. They're just too dominant. I mean there's the they're too dominant.
2: Yeah, I, I have to agree. I think they're probably gonna do it too. So and, uh, there's, there's, yeah, there is too good. <laughs> it seems there. Are. Like and, at least. you
1: know, I think the Winnipeg ice are going to be a team that, you know, we've talked a little bit about which teams are going to go all in next year. The Seattle Thunderbirds are going to go all in next year. Um, whoever wins the Memorial cup bid, whether it's the clone rockets or Canlens Blazers, they're going all in next year. I'm pretty sure the Winnipeg ice are going to put all their marbles into a bag and go all in as well. Yeah. I mean, they're going to have a full, you know, Savoy and Geeky. They're going to have, they've got everybody.
2: Like yeah. Zach I mean, Benson's really rounded himself out. Yeah. They, they're, we, I think they're going to be, they're going to go all in. Um, Yeah. And back to the oil Kings. I mean, looking at, I mean, Dylan Genther. I mean, geez, like he hasn't, he, he's only had one game where he hasn't scored like <laughs> in the playoffs
1: here. Arizona got a guy is getting a treat with this kid. I feel bad for him.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Like 17
1: points. Like he's like a goal game. Like, yeah, it's just remarkable. But, you know, there's a couple guys on that team, though, who have just been dominating throughout playoffs that are just been flying under the, like, like Carter Such, 13 points. Um, And Josh Williams has been really good. Um, But yeah, that Edmonton team is just too dominant. You got guys like Caden Gooley, Luke Prokop. Jake sort, Evers, of. sort of yeah. Demick Jalen Lupin. Sebastian. I <laughs> uh, does it go on? It, yeah. It's, it's obviously, you know, what the oil Kings have done this year. Um, there's no, you know, there's no reason why they wouldn't be able to go all the way. And um, I really think that they have, you know, even if they do match up against cam I really think the oil Kings have, have, have it in the bag. I mean, you just look at the, sheer dominance through four lines
2: yeah so yeah it's gonna be fun it's gonna be fun to see what uh what comes out of that um it's gonna be
1: it it is and it's gonna be really interesting i think to see what happens at the end of this year for edmonton because they're gonna lose pretty
2: much every guy
1: yeah so may return
2: may come back yeah um i feel like if well, I don't know how how the Coyotes are going to think to do their development if they're going to want Genter, um, if he you know if he looks good enough in camp that he does make the team, or they want him to play another year of junior, which he could definitely. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's a few guys like Gouli is gone. I don't think he'll be playing. He'll be up and he'll be gone. Uh, he almost made the team of Montreal out of training camp anyway. So.
1: <laughs> well, and Gouli has taken this whole like. We saw it in the world juniors a little bit there. And well in the one game. I think we've got to watch, right? The one game yeah. that all we got this year. Yeah, I think it was only one, so, maybe two. There was some exhibition, but yeah. we saw like he's turned into this physically imposing defender. Like he all of a sudden has turned into this guy who's, you know, got some tenacity in his game. And I think that's what's going to drive him forward because he, you know, he reminds me of, um, Kind of like Braden Schneider. Mm-hmm. I, I think Braden Schneider has a higher ceiling. But you know, Braden Schneider is a fantastic defenseman for New York. And he's, you know, what has Schneider added to his game over the last few years? A, a complete physical role where he's out there throwing hits like Jacob Truba and fighting guys. Like yeah. I think Gooley has what it takes to be that, you know, tenacious defenseman. Cause there's a lot of big defensemen, Tyler Myers, for example, who are not violent
2: they don't, they don't play person. big
1: no they don't and you need that you you know guys like colton Pareco with st louis he's a mean guy out there guys like uh you know curtis mcdermott anyways list goes on uh-huh. um i think Gooley has that chance for sure and i think i think we see him in a montreal jersey next year and jake neighbors i mean like he already oh. had that stint with st louis he he'll be back
2: oh yeah yeah that's the thing There's, they're gonna lose so many guys that they're going to be a different team for sure next year. So uh, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see what that team looks like uh, for sure.
1: It will be, it's going to be interesting. And I think uh, I talked about this with a buddy of mine. We'll quickly talk about this and then we'll move on. If the Blazers are going to add people, Josh Williams is a guy they should go after. He was remarkable for Edmonton this past year. And if the oil Kings are looking at going into this whole rebuild thing and, you know, going back to the drawing board, which it looks like they have to, um, that's a guy the Blazers definitely need to get, and obviously they need to target Connor Bedard because that's a good rumor, and I really like that one. Yeah, that's my I'll favorite. That's my favorite it. rumor. I love it. <laughs> I think we're gonna keep on that one. We'll we'll keep pumping it. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so how about we talk a little bit about Chloe Primorano because that was really
2: cool. Oh, I love this. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So. Defender Chloe Permarano became the first women's skater to be selected in any, this is there any CHL selection draft yeah. on Thursday when he was chosen by the Vancouver Giants. And it's great that the her. Vancouver Giants have picked her too, which is amazing
1: because <laughs> yeah. she, well,
2: yep. she's going to be someone to be able to watch um, pretty closely here. So, um, you know, this is a big step forward the game i mean we've talked about women's hockey in the past of them having their own league and stuff but this is great for her to be drafted into a men's league uh and you know when she was interviewed after i loved her interview too i mean that is great and uh you know yeah colin how how positive how positive of a step is this i mean this is amazing i think it's i think
1: it's a huge step forward i think what it does is it opens it opens the gates for a lot of uh, a lot of younger girls who will see this and be like, wow, I can, you know, my brother played in the WHL. I can play in the WHL yeah. or, you know, like if she's playing and it doesn't, they don't have to have any family relation. They, it just be, you know, if she's playing in the WHL, I, I can do it too. And I think that's kind of what we're going to see. We saw, um, oh, I don't want to say her name. Cause I'm going to, I can't remember her first name, but, uh, her last name is Gas Gascon, and yeah. she played with, uh, was it Gatno this year? She was the goaltender, and she played in the QMJHL, and she played a handful of games this year with them. And, I mean, it's just, it's really cool to see. And do we see her playing? I, I think we do. Um, I think so. I think, like, I think she knows, like, oh, God, how do you word this? Like, I think she knows what, what to expect Uh, there. I think that's like the blunt way to put it. She understands that it's a, it's a physical game and whether she's playing against women or men, it's going to be a physical game. And the WHL is obviously known for its, you know, you know, physicality side and it being a little bit of a, bit of a psycho league. Um, But. I think, you know, she definitely has that, uh, you know, has that offensive ability and, you know, that ability
2: to hockey IQ, to excel. Yeah.
1: I, I'm well, excited like, to see it because I think I'm, she really yeah. does
2: get a chance. I think so, too. Like she say, like in her interview, I say I'm a two way defenseman. I can go up in the rush and go in the offensive zone. But when it comes time to play shutdown, I can do that as well. And she models herself after Duncan Keith, which is pretty good. It's pretty Pretty, good. uh, Pretty pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good person. (laughs)
1: Um, So, like, you look at, like, you look at something like that, though, and, like, just, like, how that impacts the game of hockey. And we talked about, you know, the the women's hockey league and, you know, the PHF and what's happening, the PHWA and I think I butchered that one. But the PHF I know for sure is a league. Yeah. you look at those leagues and what they're trying to do. And, um, I, I think, you know, her, I hope she takes the initiative and joins the team though, too, because I know that Mm. there was this whole thing with the, you know, with, with Marie Philip Poulin and her being offered the contract to go play in the ECHL and she denied it. And that that's fair. That's totally fine. It's it's okay. I think, within chloe's case i think like she should really jump on this it's Mm -hmm. it would be a big moment for her career it'd be a big moment for the western hockey league and just the game of hockey in general i think it would have um like a catapulting like positive like you
2: know what i mean like there would just be so
1: many positive remarks to come from it that i think it would it'd be a really good idea
2: yeah and the thing is is this this is on the on the heels of uh you know Taya Curry, uh, Taya, yes. Taya Curry, the first yes. female drafted to uh, the OHL yes. uh, in the 14th round last year. Ex- so, exactly. You know, this is, a, this is something that now is a defenseman. Maybe we'll see some forwards. I mean, if it's becomes a precedent, it, it'd be great. And I, I understand why Poulin didn't sign. Cause she, she's on, she's a big ambassador for trying to create a league. Yeah. That, the, the,
1: that was, you different. know, that I women think that was want different.
2: She doesn't want a mix. Like, they yep. want their own league to be able to develop as a group. And I understand that because they do deserve that. We've said this in the past. Um, they they do. I mean, and it's exciting hockey, uh, you know? Yep. So, I mean, I, I I fully support her decision for not doing that. But like you said, Chloe, I think she should jump on this. And it, it'd be great to see her play in the WHL at one point.
1: Absolutely. And I think, you know, regardless, you bring up like, you know, with MPP and her being an ambassador, I think that's what it would would, it could come down to for Chloe. She could, you know, she can play, but she can also be that ambassador for the Western Hockey League and trying to, you know, have women's, you know, have camps for young women. And, you know, just I think there's a big push for that. And I think, you know, um, this is a big, big step for the WHL. Um, and, you know, congratulations to her and her entire family for such an honor. Uh, and good on the Vancouver Giants. I mean, that, that's yeah. a great organization to begin with. And I think, you know, I, it's going to be really cool to see. I think she'll get, like, she'll definitely get exhibition time. Like, yeah. I, I guarantee like, guaranteed. And, yeah. and looking back at um, who I was talking about in the QMJHL, uh, Eve Gascon, I definitely am pronouncing that wrong. so. <laughs> though you french speakers you can come from my head it's okay but she played two games this year mcgano so like she yeah. it, and she has a one and 1 record like it, it's just super cool to see um, to see that
2: yeah, yeah. The, the thing is, is is like i'm glad like the giants you know i don't feel this is like you could say this is like a publicity stunt type thing you know, sure. not, they're trafting me just to say, oh, we drafted a female into the league. Never play there. Never give her the opportunity to play. But just say, we did it. We're, you know, that could be argued. Like, some people could say, well, maybe they're doing, you know, they're doing it just because. to. Yeah. But I don't feel that. Like, I don't No, I hope it's not that. I don't feel like I, it is.
1: I don't so. think it's that case either. Because she's been playing, like, she, they talked to, like, the Burnaby Winter Club coach. And, like, she's been excelling against boys for years. Like, yeah like you know what i mean like i don't think that there's, it's a publicity thing i think they actually legitimately believe she's got the talent to excel and i so yeah. i think it's i think it's fucking great oh i geez, hope yeah. she i hope she blows the you know gasket of it of all the people <laughs> that have been critiquing her and you know you go you go look at tsn's comments holy cow oh,
2: geez yeah the amount
1: of just trash in that comment section from people is just ridiculous um We're going to wrap the show up here, though. Uh, I'm going to touch on one more thing. Uh, My boss, David Quadrelli, tweeted this morning about uh, the, sounds like the unfortunate passing of Brock Besser's father, Duke. Uh, So I'm, obviously, Matthew and I both write for the Canucks uh, for separate publishers, but uh, here at Western Centric, we just want to offer our thoughts and condolences to the entire Besser family. Um, It is very heartbreaking to hear that. Mm. And, you know... Brock is a very, very special guy. Um, he's, you know, he's become one of my favorite players. And we, you, you listen to anything in when he talks and when he talks about his father. Um, he's very emotional. So, with that said, um, thoughts and prayers are with the Besser family and with Brock during this difficult time.
2: Yeah, that's tough to hear. Uh, you know, in the interview that he had at the post game, um... post, yeah exit interviews that was tough to watch and uh you know that and it's yeah and i i can't imagine what he's going through right now and um yeah all thoughts thoughts and prayers to him and his family and uh you know and i hope that they don't try to interview him just just let him let him let him leave him alone because uh you know we don't need to we don't need to talk to him right now so um but yeah thoughts and prayers to to him and uh and to his, to his father who's um we all know all the story of uh of his struggles health wise yeah and, uh, yeah so it's yeah it's sad to hear
1: very very sad very sad um we hate to end on a bad note like this but uh it's something that came up while we were recording so i just had to bring it up um thank you guys all for taking the time of your day again to listen to this interview uh check out uh chris app clever uh it'll be linked down below And you can follow my work over at Daily Faceoff and Nation Network, as well as Matthew's work with the hockey writers. All links will be down below. Shoot us an email. Follow us on Twitter. And thank you guys again. We will catch you next week.